Okay, more to come, listeners. We're back. I'm Calvin Reed, contributing editor to Publishers Weekly, uh, you know, as well as uh, editor of PW Comics World and The Fanatic. Uh, and I'm joined, uh, as always, uh, on Stargazing by Meg Lemke. Hey, hey, Meg, how you doing? Hey, Calvin. I'm Meg Lemke, the graphic novels reviews editor at Publishers Weekly. And Calvin and I are here to speak to you about recent starred review books. So a star review is when we think a title is notable and excellently done, and we want PW's readership to pay attention to it. All right. So what are we paying attention to this week? So we have two books. Um, this week, and they're both out already, so readers can hit, you know, their bookshop link as soon as we, um, there you go. are speaking into their ears. And the first one is Queenie, Godmother of Harlem by Elizabeth Columba and Aurelie Levy, and that's from Megascope at Abrams Comic Arts. And that came out in February, sorry, in January of this year, so it's out already. And it is a graphic biography, actually we're talking about two graphic biographies today. Of Stephanie St. Clair, who's a Depression-era Harlem racketeer. So she ran the numbers. Lady you know. racketeer. Lady racketeer, exactly. Uh, and she was squaring off against Dutch Schultz, Bucky Luciano, um, sort of dodging the police. It's really like this incredible look at the life of a leading female mobster um, in the Depression-era period during Prohibition. Actually, they really focus on right after Prohibition, the idea being that when Prohibition was turned over and um, the speakeasy monies and like, you know, moonshine importing business <laughs> was going down for Luciana and Schultz, that they turned to the homegrown um, lottery numbers game in Harlem to try and find a new outlet for uh, incoming illegal funds. Yeah. Uh, and this is a really fascinating work because Elizabeth Columba is a well-known fine artist. She's a painter and she paints portraits of black women. Uh, and her relationship with Levy, who is a French creator, comics creator, uh, has very unusual and, and beautifully done graphic biography style that really acts as a series of portraiture in my mind. Like there's a lot of really beautiful mm, yeah. stills, mm. um, particularly like these amazing close-ups of St. Clair's expressions. But, Tavon, why don't you dive in? What made this a pick for you? Well, uh, 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 of course, I mean, this is just an extraordinary portrait. Uh, yes, of a, of a lady racketeer, a woman in those times, but of course, of course also a black woman, um, uh, on top of everything else, um, uh, uh, the basic misogyny of, uh, of, of the culture at that time. Uh, and, and on top of that, white supremacy and the racism as well. Uh, her ability to, uh, first of all, um, uh, for a woman, uh, of extraordinary means, let alone, uh, extraordinary abilities, mm -hmm. let alone ordinary women. I mean, uh, uh, Stephanie St. Clair or Queenie, uh, uh, as she was called the Queen of Harlem as well, the Queen of the Numbers Racket in Harlem. Uh, for her to accomplish what she did, uh, to face off against white mafia figures, uh, uh, to thrive and survive on top of everything else. We haven't even talked about that yet. I mean, she was a figure for social justice at the mm -hmm. same time. Mm -hmm. uh, she, she had a columnist, I think she bought ads or something in the Amsterdam news and wrote about, uh, uh, what ordinary black people 
were were facing every day in terms of the vicious racism and exclusion of the period uh you know as well as kind of uh you know having an open office an open door where members of the community came in and asked favors and appealed to her for help yeah she knew how to wag the dog right? yeah That's oh my, the- yeah She's an early example of someone who played the media and marketing uh, as part of her strategic game against her um, her opposers, both rival crime bosses and in the police force. And I think that the the narrative really has it all in that it's this story of like a rags to riches story, an immigrant story. She's from Martinique. And there's this sort of beautiful set of flashbacks to her childhood uh, compared to the kind of lavish wealth that she enjoys in Harlem. Uh, but after coming up from a lot of traumatic and um, abusive situations as an immigrant into New York City to this like total machination between the, the gangsters, including like scenes of how the gangsters are plotting to kill her. She escapes one or two assassination attempts in the work. And then this sort of larger story about like creating her own image and the very strategic and purposeful way that she creates her image by uh, relationships with reporters. And as you're saying, um, both at an advocate for social justice and taking that position as a way to be somewhat of like a front, you know, for her, her other works, um, or questioning, like there's something to the book about, you know, is, is the only way to become an advocate for social justice to be in, a, in outside of the law? Well, certainly at that time, probably it was. I mean, you really, mm-hmm. I, I mean, um, uh, it, it, it really is extraordinary, uh, the power they have. And let, make no mistake, uh, she was both brilliant, uh, I, I think she spoke five languages, uh, but she was ruthless. She was a gangster. Um, uh, she had a cohort, Bumpy Johnson, who went on, I think, to kind of take over the numbers business, uh, and kind of rule black, the black, you know, uh, mafia, if you want to call it that, into the 1950s. Um, and I mean, the book opens, as you said. I mean, what's interesting is this, this book is set, and it'll be interesting about also the next book we talk about. Um, this book, you know, really is set as, uh, we come out of the Harlem Renaissance, this, this legendary period in black American history of the, and a flowering of the arts and the intelligentsia in 1920s Harlem. Uh, this is after that is, I guess it's just after the prohibition. Uh, the book shows that she circulated among all of these figures too, like, uh, you know, Duke Ellington, uh, the Renaissance painter Charles Alston, uh, the boxer Jack Johnson, who we'll talk more about a little later, who by this time was, you know, he kind, you know, after after Jack Johnson stopped fighting, uh, he he became kind of a vaudeville figure. He gave stage shows. Uh, he opened a club. I mean, he opened the club uh, before the legendary Cotton Club. Someone bought it from it and turned it into the Cotton Club. I mean, Duke Ellington. So. Uh, it, it, it's just an amazing document of a period where black people achieved in the face of unbelievable racist, uh, obstacles. So, um, and her ability to do it as a woman fearlessly, uh, the courage, uh, and, uh, just, I mean, I don't even know how, what to say about it now. It's just, a, it's really an extraordinary portrait. And if I just may quickly say something about the art, mm, yeah, uh, Columbus does have a fascinating style. As you mentioned, her portraits, her facial expressions, it's a very powerfully linear style, 
also um, uh, supplemented by a noirish use of chiaroscuro and black and white. Uh, it, this is, of course, a gangster biography, so you you get that. Uh, and we have to remember, everyone, you know, she had as many people on her payroll, and we we meet her as she's getting out of prison. I guess it, it seems to be bribing her way out. So she's just this. Uh, you know, a classic character out of the time, a black character in the sense that she's a flawed and extremely heroic figure. She's a patron of the arts and also yes. an appreciator of the arts. And there's something really beautiful and deep and rich in the work about that idea of coming into wealth and that she has in some ways wealth beyond, you know, uh like she has an abundance, right? An abundance of wealth. Yes. And that she uses that to appreciate and enjoy the literature that's come out of the Harlem Renaissance period. And so throughout are woven lines of poetry. Um, Bumpy is himself a poet. And I think in the notes. I know an unusual gangster as well. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so there's these figures of the arts and also kind of moments of poetry. And one thing I wanted to talk about, and I'm really curious for your thoughts on this is Megascope as an imprint. At yes. Abrams uh, comic arts is designed to be an imprint primarily looking at works of science fiction, um, fantasy, um, Afrofuturism. And this book is unusual in that respect and that it's essentially a typical graphic biography, but there's a few moments of magic, including like a scene in the theater mm -hmm. where there's a kind of visual explainer for a quote, just sort of a moment of like breaking the Yeah, that, yes. I think I know what you're about to talk about, but go on. Yeah, but I also just find it really interesting to think about this biography is part of that list and that imprint because um, there's something just very magical in the, in the work. Like in the, in the, she is a kind of mythic figure, right? So there's some mm -hmm. making mm -hmm. in the, in the book. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, it's both the graphic libraries we're going to talk about today. I also think that part of the reason they started reviews and also why we're really excited about them is that the graphic biography category is like very, uh, populated at this point, you know, and there is getting to be a sameness in a lot of very linear narratives that have um, really similar structures in sort of the graphic biography genre. And these books do interesting things with the narrative structure. And I would say that this book, you have to really pay attention to follow the leaps in the imaginations of what's real, what's not real, what's yeah. past, what's future, mm -hmm. you know, projections as she's sort of dreaming up her next moves. Um, and it's really a strong read because of that, because you have to attend to it um, while you're also being dazzled by the gorgeous art. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, obviously what graphic bi bios often do is sort of recreate scenes from the past um, uh, to kind of, uh, to kind of create this, the, the, you know, a visual narrative of the, the person's life. Uh, these books do that also, but they, this one in particular, and well, as the next book we talk about, really uh, try to do other things to mm -hmm. give you a nuanced and full picture, uh, not only of the character as they existed, but to some extent their inner life as well. Uh, there are scenes, there are no, a number of flashbacks. Um, uh, the art helps you uh, sort of uh, understand that time has changed. Because uh, they switch back and forth between this very a stark black and white through these gradient scenes. There's a very beautiful scene where uh, I think it's where she arrives in New York. Uh, I think this is really gorgeous. But as you pointed out, her expressions, 
some of the some of the the scenes at night. I think the confrontation with the police commissioner who attacks her is also quite good. So I mean, um, yeah, they, I think both of the graphic bios that we're talking about uh, in this show they do something above and beyond. Are uh, you just recreating the narrative of their lives in pictures? I think that it's very cinematic as you um, reference this sort of noir look, but it also gets into this inner like mm. both paranoia and sort of moments of grandeur. Mm. And that's done on the art in a really beautiful way. There's one scene, like I don't want to get too into the weeds because we want our listeners to read this, but there's a couple scenes where herself as a young girl yeah. mm-hmm. and then young girls around the same age that she interacts with in different ways are echoes. And I think that that's done very deliberately, including some moments um, where she's hiding out because of assassination attempts and there's things she starts seeing and, mis- and misunderstanding. And you as a reader really brought into that kind of moment of misperceiving the world. And then what that has to do about memories of trauma there's just a lot happening at the artistic yeah. level, like on the page in terms of the way the drawings are presented that gives this book a lot of layers and angles. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's very well worth reading. Our reviewer loved it. I want to say mm-hmm. the, um, give you all a quote from the review. It's a smart, sure-footed biography that belongs in every history aficionado's shelf. Um, and it's a rollicking retelling of the incredible life of Stephanie St. Clair. We mentioned her intelligence and just her genius for the numbers. I think that is also she yes. Yes. gave no short shrift. Like the idea of, of how to run the numbers, how to run an illegal lottery, underground lottery is really fascinating. And there's actually great yes. yeah. yeah, that's a good, good, other good point. And she, yeah, she also was sort of a mathematical, uh, what do you, what do you want to, how, how would you say it? Could she seem to have this ability to remember numbers, keep numbers in her head? Uh, I think Bumpy at some point says she remembers, you know, what I had for lunch 10 years ago. She had, you know, an amazing memory. And I, and I also want to mention something else you mentioned that there is a strain of the paranormal and the supernatural, mm-hmm. uh, of folklore, uh, that, that, that crops up here and there through the novel that really kind of, um, excuse, excuse me, the biography that, returns you to the context of Martinique where she, where she was born and raised. Um, uh, and you know, that, that adds to the, to the feeling of mystery and noir throughout the book. Yeah. And I think that that is really interesting coming from Megascope because I feel like that is the imprint and the editor relationship that, um, with John Jennings, who is mm-hmm. curating that list, that maybe brought that to the fore more than another publisher would do. You know, he has a real taste and insight into how to bring like magical and mythical into a book. And so it gives it something really special coming from that imprint. And it was a little, uh, there is a, a break the fourth wall sort of moment yeah. in the movies there about Native Americans. I will leave it at that, but it's, it's a very interesting. Uh, connection across, uh, you know, let's just say oppressed cultures in America. <laughs> right. The book is not afraid to use the yeah. medium in interesting ways. Yeah, it was a very interesting, yeah, interesting moment in the book. So, so you already touched on the fact that there's a character in Queenie who has an entire graphic biography that we're going to talk about next, which is Last on His Feet, Jack Johnson and the Battle of the Century by Yusuf Dowdy and Adrian Matika. From Live Right, which is Norton's, in Norton. Mm-hmm. 
And this is another star review. This came out in February. Um, and not only is this graphic biography getting a lot of fantastic critical attention, it's based on a book by Matika, The Big Smoke, which was a book of poetry based yes. on um, pugilist Jack Johnson, who was a heavyweight champion. And that uh, won several awards as a prose work, like a, like it was a it was a fi- yeah it was a finalist for the National Book Award, and I think it won the Annisfeld Wolf Award. Yes, it did. Well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So this is a gorgeous book. I mean, they both yeah. are really gorgeous. This book is like a, such a stunner. Yeah. And um, I will say I'm not a boxing person, but I think <laughs> that the but the choice of Johnson and while there's many scenes of of boxing, it's actually again much bigger work about media and image mm, and the true. relationship of the news machines in America and caricature to how people's lives were lived and, and livelihood. Um, the reviewer absolutely loved this. They, they said a desert boxing match becomes an epic, a tragic symbol and thunderous encapsulation of America's bloody racial history in this passionately told graphic history. Yeah. yeah I mean this, and, and, the book is built around uh, uh, a heavyweight championship fight on July 4th, 1910. Jack Johnson was the first black heavyweight boxing champion, and he fought Jim Jeffries, a retired undefeated champion, mm-hmm. who Johnson felt had spent most of his career ducking him, but he got him there. He, he got the match he wanted. But we have, I would say that maybe. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't say I'm a huge boxing fan, but I'm, you know, look, I'm my age, I'm 71 years old. I grew up in an era where the heavyweight champion was kind of the biggest champion on the professional athletic block, particularly in American athletics, which is often very not international. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, football, baseball, basketball. I mean, these sports are way more international now. Uh, than they were for most of the uh, the 20th century, and uh, 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 so the heavyweight championship cha- champion, who very often was an American, was a global champion. Uh, so Jack Johnson, you know, being the first black heavyweight champion, uh, was just an extraordinary figure. I mean, today I don't even think anybody can even name who the heavyweight champion was. Well, I grew up; everybody knew at all times, whether you were a boxing fan or not. Whether it was Joe Lewis or whether it was, you know, Sonny Liston or Muhammad Ali, you knew who the black, yeah. Now, of course, it, the, it, it splintered, boxing's kind of corrupt anyway. Uh, but this takes us back to a time when the heavyweight, really almost at the beginning of the domination of black athletes, uh, of the heavyweight championship and all of the awful stuff of American culture, uh, that Jack Johnson had to overcome to get to this point. This book is really, much like the Queenie biography is an incredible collection of, of, of literary and visual textures to try to give you some sense of the power of the man, uh, his life, uh, and his impact on the culture. He was covered like heavily in tabloids. And something that the book does is use the artistic style of tabloid, um, magazines from the period, tabloid papers from the period, including caricature and cartooning, which is mm. difficult to, to look at in our contemporary. Viciously racist. Viciously uh, racist. Uh, 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 no other way to describe it. Um, and it plays on that. And what I 
really found fascinating is that given that the um, the original work for Matika was poetry, that the, the voice mm. of Johnson is set throughout like a poem, like mm. set lines like a poem against this really large scale uh, comics work with this very fine artistic line. And, um, you know, he it gives this sort of elevated um, poetic sense of Johnson as a figure, but it's a very complex portrait. You know, he, he also abused his, mm. his romantic partner mm-hmm. who killed herself. Um, and then his romantic partners become a big part of his um, flaunting of the racism that's being directed at him. He had married two white women and the, and their relationships became a huge part of the driver of the racism directed at him. Oh, yes. Um, and Edda, who's the, the partner who killed herself, you know, he, the romance between them, the sort of uh, intensity of his attachment is really dwelled upon in the work, mm-hmm. but it's very straightforward that he also abused her. And, you know, it's difficult. Yeah, they don't hide it. Uh, not, excuse me for interrupting. They don't no, hide it. Yeah. Um, but it's part of the portrait. It's part of the portrait of violence. And I think that's what, you know, just again, this is not about my relationship to something, a sport like boxing, but it's, it's a violent sport. And if we think about things like, um, traumatic brain injury too, like there's a way in which like his body is being, is, 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 is leaning into this violence. Um, and it's a choice. So there's a lot around that in the work, the idea that he's choosing to, enact violence while he's receiving so much violence in the racist file coming at him. And he, he also just really flaunts all um, norms that he's really got, like he lives very large. He he does. All gold, like he has entirely gold teeth and it's like a big part of his, the braggadocio. And he's very clearly um, making a stand about that. He has fast cars. He's also a race car driver. Um, He, he opened bars. Travels, yeah. He opened mm-hmm. bars. Like he's very much saying. And there's actually this really fascinating um Booker T versus Dubois in the ring moment where the kind of commentary about, you know, from black intellectuals of the period about what people should do, how they should present themselves, focuses on Johnson. Like he became a figure in all these different realms to comment on um black issues of the day and the idea of perception and um it's really interesting and really, again, it's like a, it's an analytical work as well as a uh, biography. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He, he, I mean, Johnson came out of uh, Galveston, Texas. He was called the Galveston giant. Uh, this fight uh, that this book is based around, um, which was called, as he said, you know, the fight of the century or the battle of the century. Um, uh, it, it, you can also see how it was structured almost. I mean, in some ways you see the beginnings of modern, um, elite professional sports mm-hmm. and the business behind it. Uh, I mean, uh, Johnson in the book talks about the real money is in the uh, film rights because it, mm-hmm. it was filmed and they had an unusual, uh, deal. I mean, the, uh, the fighters got two thirds. Each one got a third of the film rights. Uh, this is how part of this was Johnson's vision as a businessman because he was also a businessman. Um, uh, yeah, and you you know he was the Muhammad Ali of his time. He was the greatest fighter of the period. He didn't mind telling everybody, particularly white people. Mm-hmm. Uh, he loved to challenge them, and he entered a, a ring uh, as a gladiator. I think there were twenty thousand people in an outdoor stadium that was built especially for this fight in Reno, Nevada. And of course, 
the 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 most vile uh, and racist uh, epithets you can think of rain down on him. Um, but he ultimately battered and destroyed Jeffries, who remember was unretired. Talk about the power of white supremacy hmm. uh, to drive you to delusion. Uh, he somehow got back into shape uh, and got into the ring and. You know, Johnson pummeled him for 15 rounds before he basically, you know, they rest, you know, his, his, his corner basically rest, rescued him. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, this is just as an amazing document of the time, the times in that era, uh, as well that it is a, a step by step look at the life of, uh, Johnson. Uh, you know, I, I don't know how many more superlatives <laughs> we can hand, we can <laughs> hand out for it. But, oh, you know, for a minute, let me just talk about, uh, Dowdy because, uh, I think one of the, one of the things they talk about, and I should say that we have an interview with, uh, with Dowdy and Matika, uh, you know, on the publishers. You go to publisherswiki.com slash comics and you can search for it. And it's an excerpt, uh, as we have an excerpt as well as a, uh, an interview with them where they talk about how they had seen each other's work. Uh, they shared an agent who brought them together. Uh, and, um, you know, uh, Dowdy talks about he did not want to do uh, just, you know, an illustration of someone's life. And mm -hmm. they talked. So working with a poet uh, was what he wanted. And, of course, Matika talks about uh, Dowdy's previous work, which uh, is an amazing book, a, another biography of uh, Thelonious Monk, and I want it. It's called Monk. It's called Monk from Perspective. Uh, yeah, it has a much longer subtitle. Oh, and it's called Monk, uh, you know, exclamation point, Thelonious, Panonica, and the Friendship uh, Behind a Musical re Revolution. Uh, Thelonious Monk, the iconic uh, jazz, bebop, especially uh, related pianist and composer. Uh, also, by the way, an, an extraordinary graphic biography. If you get a chance, go get that as well. But Dowdy has really brought together all kinds of, as you mentioned, uh, signage from the, you know, advertising signage. Uh, he really has come up with a whole impressive range of textures with which to kind of give you an introduction into Johnson's life. Yeah, there's just a huge scale to the art. You know, he does these huge crowd scenes and these huge sort of like looming oh, yeah. portraits, all different angles um, of Johnson, plus the action scenes, you know, the fight, which has this dancerly choreogra uh, choreography. And um, and then throughout the whole thing, there's this, uh, this like slander and terrible stuff being thrown at him from the crowd uh, verbally. But then he's playing what he calls the mouth game, where he's just like, you know, I want to swear, blank talking right into Jesse's yeah. ear because they do all that sort of hugging, you know, they call it dancing, right? Where there's, they're just sort of like, like hugging each other until they can push back and pummel each other's faces. I mean, it's like such yeah. Well, they use the fight, they use the rounds of the fight, uh, as a device to take you backwards and forwards in his life. So when you hit a certain round, uh, and you, you get some, I, I assume fictionalized version of their, of what they're saying to each other. They then, then the, the, both the writer and the artist take you to different points in his life, uh, and use different kinds of techniques to give you kind of a, a you know, a, a different facet of, of Jack Johnson. But he's just, 
the whole time he's ignoring all of this terrible language being sent to him. He's just unsettling the hell out of Jeffries. It's really fascinating. You know, he has this incredible control, but then you see in his domestic life, you know, lack of control and a spiraling. And it, in the biography continues into this, this arc that is only too familiar from other, um, athletes, you know, who have a huge explosive period of fame to the money running out, you know, and um, traveling and sort of trying to get fights internationally during um, the war and like there not being uh, the money anymore for prize fighting um, and then going on the road in this sort of vaudeville and he's sort of like within like a kind of circus sideshow at some points. You see this way in which he's had to, he has to perform himself. He, he performed himself very, mm-hmm. you know, he wanted to perform himself and he was so outsized in the way he fought and the way he presented himself. And then he's forced to put on a show about his past in order to make it through. And he has a sort of deep bitterness about that. So there's a very tragic third act yeah. um, after his and, death. And, and let's remember once again that yes, this was a heavyweight boxing championship fight. Uh, Jim Jeffries was one of the first uh, and most, uh, uh, most supported great white hopes Right. Uh, that they could return, uh, return the fight, the, the championship, uh, to a white man. So just remember this was, this, this fight was a fight symbolically anyway over white supremacy, um, right. uh, uh, which lost in a bloody pulp that day. Um, and this hit the, and uh, Johnson's win sparked race, race riots around the, uh, around the country, uh, victimizing black people. So, um, uh, the price of his championship, as glorious as it was, uh, was kind of in one, in, in a certain way to reestablish the fearsome power of white supremacy in America, uh, at the time. Um, but what a, what a document, uh, this, this graphic biography is. And I should say, if you find that the interview that we have on the Publishers Weekly site, uh, Matika talks a, quite a bit about the research that he put into it and other aspects of Johnson's life. So a reviewer, um, the final line of the review was, this is a big brawl of a book that like the greatest boxing matches finds the poetry in the violence. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. And the, and the, you know, the actual violence and, you know, to be frank, the, the violence of American uh, racism and, and, and American culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, the inherent violence in that. So yeah, two, two amazing graphic books about two tremendous, uh, figures in, uh, black American and American history. They really talk to each other also. And I think there's a lot to be said for reading them together. Yeah, they were um, contemporaneous. Yeah. I mean, in Queenie, actually, uh, he's in there. He's a character. Yeah. He's a figure. He comes yeah. in and speaks, you know, he's a, they have a conversation. He's in the background. It's, he's part of establishing the period that that she is situated in. Yeah. yeah. So it, 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 let's let's repeat the, the the these books so that that, that people don't. You know, we've been gabbing for a while, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So last on his feet, Jack Johnson and the Battle of the Century by Yusuf Dowdy and Adrian Matika mm-hmm. from Live Right, which is in Norton. It's out mm-hmm. uh, from February and Queenie. Godmother of Harlem by Elizabeth Columba and Aurelie Levy from Megascope at Abrams Comic Arts. Awesome. So, uh, Meg, thanks so much. Thank you, Calvin. We'll talk again soon.